Hey everyone, this is Lynn Bartim, and you are listening to the Apex Hour on KSUU Thunder 91.1. In this show, you get more personal time with the guests who visit Southern Utah University from all over, learning more about their stories and opinions beyond their presentations on stage. We will also give you some new music to listen to and hope to turn you on to some new sounds and new genres. You can find us here every Thursday at 3 p.m. or on the web at seu.edu slash apex. But for now, welcome to this week's show here on Thunder 91.1. Well, here we are. It's Thursday, 3 p.m., and that means it is the Apex Hour. Um, My name is Lynn Vartan, and we are so excited here. We're celebrating a lot of things this week. One, it's the end of January. That's good. You made it through the first month of 2019. Go, everyone. And also, our event this week has been featuring a fantastic filmmaker and activist who is in the studio with us today, and I'll tell you about her in a second. But uh, her visit is in a collaboration with two different entities on campus. One is kind of an early start to Black History Month. Um, and if you want to find out more about that, you can look it up on the SUU website. But as always, it's a course that we offered and there's films being shown all through the month of February. And so you can definitely check that out. The other thing that we are collaborating with and celebrating is our SUU International Film Festival. So we're really happy to be collaborating with them yet again. So now we get to talk about our guest. Amandine Gay is here and she is an Afro-feminist. She's a film documentary maker. She's an activist. She's an actress and just a fantastic person that we've been really enjoying getting to know. Welcome, Amandine. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so happy that you took the time um, to spend with me on the radio. And uh, we're, we showed your film Speak Up, and I, I have so many questions about it. I so enjoyed it. Um, but first, we'd love to get to know, and for our live audience and also for the podcast, just a little bit about your background and how you came from there to here. And I know you have, of course, ties in France and Canada and a stint in Australia. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, it's been uh, yeah, a long, uh, a long road to to filmmaking. So um, I'll start with uh, well, with the beginning because I think it also gives a bit of context with me. So I'm an adoptee. Um, I'm a transracial adoptee, which means that my parents are white and and I'm black. So I grew up uh, in rural France, uh, close to the city of Lyon. So for those who are not familiar with geographical um, regions in France, Lyon is uh, somewhere between. Paris and Marseille, Marseille being the south, uh, you know, the coastal shore of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, so yeah, I grew up in a village where there was about 3,000 inhabitants and my brother and I were the only two black people there. So, you know, it's sort of... a small village? Uh, yeah, so small. Very small. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, you know, it, it clearly influenced the person that I am, um, even just for the fact that uh, when you're an adoptee, right, everywhere you go, people look at you. So 
I think you can take it, you know, in different ways, but I sort of like felt like I was a star also because I was like photographed and filmed a lot by my family. So it has sort of like probably, you know, developed or hyper developed my, you know, egotistical kind of like, <laughs> yay, look at me, you know, uh, the actress. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. emerges. laughs> I'll never know. You know, I often say that uh, maybe I was an introvert to start with, but I wasn't given, you know, much of a choice. Yeah. So <laughs> I end up, you know, having this sort of like really outgoing um, personality, but I think it's also uh, linked to, um, you know, having a sense of control. Yeah. Uh, if you're always going to be noticed and, and, you know, um, and not, and that it's not going to be able, uh, possible for you to hide, you might as well take control and sort of like be visible on your own terms. Right. So, you know, I think at, at some point that's sort of like how I, I made my decision and I've always been, you know, loud or, Basically, the person that you you are likely to remember, you know, yeah. like if you've met me, if you've met me, you remember me, whether you like me or not. But <laughs> you know, you you're gonna remember me. So yeah, that that has had, a, I think, a, a huge impact on who I was. Um, but also in the fact that I I was really lucky to uh, be raised in a household where, you know, my mom did, did was the one who uh, studied more. Uh-huh. You know, uh, she's uh, the first in her family to go to high school and mm-hmm. then she became a teacher. So she was also the first in her family to become a teacher, mm-hmm. you know, really working class, um, father working in a factory and uh, uh, and stay at home mother. Um, and so she was the first one to go to high school, become a teacher. And then I was the first one in the family to get a, a university degree. And, you know, like she's always pushed me a lot. And um, and so, yeah, she was the one who made more money, uh, who had studied longer. My daddy is stopped. Uh, school when he was 14 mm-hmm. and he was a street cleaner and um, and so it meant that he got up really early in the morning and like you know he started work at 6.30 but he finished at uh, 1 p.m. so he was also a caregiver like when I was in uh, you know kindergarten uh, it's my dad who was coming to pick me up so that I wouldn't have to stay in the afternoons and I could stay at home um, he was there for like all my birthdays like he would be the one entertaining kids and, and um, you know it took me a while to realize that not all families were like that you know like that was my norm so Mm -hmm. I thought that everybody participated in you know in house chores (laughs) which was not the case that's cool though what a great model yeah, it was really cool. And, um, and I had, you know, this uh, mom who was always like, you can do anything, go for it, you know, very supportive parents. And, uh, I think maybe also that's one of the good things when you're an adoptee, like you've been, you know, people have, like your family has waited for you a long time. So yeah, there is sort of like a messiah kind of uh, arrival, you know, yeah. when you get there, it's kind of like everybody's coming, the yeah. family, the neighbors, everybody's surrounding you. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I think at least for me, it's been something that has really, you know, given me a lot of strength and confidence, even if I was really different. Like my parents have really been, you know, cheerleaders throughout yeah. my, my life. You yeah. know, when I played basketball, they would be here at to all my games and um, they've supported all the careers I've I've, uh, I've gone for. Well, my mom's always been supportive and my dad was always sort of like not saying anything. <laughs> and if I would say, you know, like, what do you think? Uh, I remember when I decided to go to Paris to um, uh, to study to to be an actress or so to go to a drama concertry. Um, I told that to my parents. So my mom was like, yeah, great. You know, she's kind of like really uh, outgoing and always positive. And my dad didn't say anything. So a couple of days later, I was like, so what do you think? And he says, well, if I tell you not to go and I disapprove, will you stay? And I said, no. And he's like, well, you know what I think. (laughs) (laughs) So you went from this really supportive childhood and then grew into adulthood and and got into 
filmmaking, but um, the social activism became a part of it right from the beginning because of how things are in France, right? Definitely. And also because, you know, my family was quite supportive, but it was like a nuclear circle. You know, mm -hmm. I would, uh, the first question that is asked, you know, in Speak Up is uh, the day when you become black and what it means in France, right? Yeah. Um, and it's like all the questionnaire from Speak Up is drawn from my own experiences, you know? Mm -hmm. And so for me, uh, it was changing school when I was five years old. And so um, because the, the, um, kindergarten in which I was, you know, my mom had done a lot of work, like before uh, I arrived, you know, she went to talk to the school headmistress, and she was teaching there too. And she said, you know, we're going to have a little daughter, and she's going to be black. So it would be nice, you know, to maybe prepare other kids because they had never seen a black person in the village. So, you know, they bought a black doll, they, they bought a book about adoption, like they did, they did it really re well. And then I changed school when I was five, because my mom changed school. And the first day I got there and then uh, this, uh, we were supposed to, you know, line up and, and hold each other's hand. And uh, I go to a, a little girl and then she says, no, I'm not holding your hand. You're black. Uh -oh. And, um, and I'd never heard that because, right. you know, like my parents, like I, I always known I was an adoptee. And of course I saw, I saw that I didn't look like my parents, but like they never told me like, and you're black and we're white, you know, like that, yeah. that, that never, uh, happened this way. So it was like really a huge shock. Like I, you know, I'll remember that, you of know, my course. whole life. Yeah. And, uh, and from then on, and I think it depends who you are. Like I have friends who are really into, uh, you know, um, astrological stuff. And so they say like Libras, constant injustice, you know, whatever. So maybe it doesn't come just from, you know, being a black face in a white place, but it's true that, um, from then on, I've always been, you know, um, a fighter in the sense that I would not, you know, let people, uh, bring me down, be it teachers, be it, you know, other students. Uh, then I got involved really early in student groups, you know, from high school onwards. I would always be the class president mm -hmm. every year. Uh, and then I was like, so I've always been political, but also again, comes from my family. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom, she was in a union, like in the teacher's union. Yeah. Uh, I've always been brought to demonstrations. Again, I thought everybody was demonstrating, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then I, yeah, it's normal. <laughs> university and I had friends who were like, oh, it's going to be my first demonstration. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I've been doing this for a while. I was in a prom the first time I was yeah. in a demonstration. So, mm -hmm. um, again, that was also a thing that was encouraged, you know, yeah. uh, speak your own mind, uh, be involved in the community. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and so yeah, I did that quite a while. And, uh, of course it took me to, I, I would say more serious activism, uh, when I was in university, uh, because also I was starting to see how, um, sort of like uh, French promises, uh, like the promises that the French, the French model are, are giving were not accurate, right. you know? And, uh, and I had more arguments by then mm -hmm. to sort of like start deconstructing that though. So my first step was to uh, do a, my master's thesis when I was in the Institute of Political Studies. So my first master's degree, um, I wrote a, a thesis on the contemporary stakes of colonization uh, in France, you know, just to show that this history wasn't done, yeah. that oh, there were like current repercussions, uh, because at the time, so it was after 2005. So I wrote this in 2006. Because in 2005, a minister in France tried to pass a law that said that colonization had a positive effect in France. And he wanted this uh, uh, particular phrase and framework to be included into history uh, books yeah. in classes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like that's the first thing that really made me realize that I had to change the narrative. It yeah. wasn't like I didn't think about it that in that way. 
But writing the master thesis really was that. It was like, I am going to write about colonization so that for once and for all, I'm not the only one who's done that, right? But I was like, I'm going to write my part just to show that, no, there was nothing positive about this particular part of history. And for black communities in France, it's had enduring consequences. Just when you look at the representation of black people uh, in cartoons, in films, etc. So to me, it was like, I cannot just be a bystander. You know, I have to take action, even if it just means action within academia. It was already a first step. Mm-hmm. And from then on, I moved to being involved in feminist groups and, you know, and uh, <laughs> just like, uh, you know, being in different groups. But always also having this thing of... um and that's probably why I ended up drifting towards art more, um, is that I'm not doing really well with dogma and rules. And when you're part of a group, uh, there are a set of rules that you have to follow. Yeah. So uh, you can't always um, speak your mind or you have to agree with the general decisions. And, um, and I had a, a hard time doing that. You know, I realized that I was, um, I'm a free thinker. And I think that in, in, uh, Activism and political organizing, uh, one of the things that happens a lot is that because of the way, you know, uh, those, um, those activities are shaped, uh, you sort of have to stick to one, uh, principle, yeah. one or two, and you can't really move from this. And the way my mind works and, and the way I see the world is, is in movement. So, you know, it's really hard for me to, uh, to be staying, uh, really, to think the same thing for two years. Usually, right. you know, my position is going to move. I'm going to, I'm going to find some nuances. I'm going to, and, uh, and I can't deal with the fact that some people are going to, um, want to force me to keep having the same discourse and to stay in the same line when my mind and my views of things have evolved. Right. Uh, so I realized that I couldn't be in a group. You yeah, know? yeah. And then how did the documentary filmmaking or filmmaking in general come into your life? Well, um, I think that like many women filmmakers, um, you know, you don't really allow yourself to think that you could be a filmmaker. Oh. So the, um, it started because it started actually quite early. My, my, you know, me wanting to be a filmmaker. Uh, but it took about, I don't know, for maybe about 10 years for me to admit it. Uh, when I was 16, I worked in, um, in a um, summer camp mm. um, as a janitor. That was my first job ever. And I think it's really good to clean other people's mess. You know, everybody should clean other people's toilets once in their life. It yeah. gives you perspective. It does, that's for sure. <laughs> and um, and in this uh, this summer camp, it was an artistic summer camp. Mm. So there were dance classes, um, music uh, classes, and filmmaking. Uh-huh. And of course, you know, and I was young and I was in love with the film instructor. You know, he was like a couple <laughs> of years older than me. And, you know, and so... Uh, so I started, you know, like in my downtime, like he would, you know, give me a lot of films to watch. And, you know, so um, I started developing an interesting for film at this time. And uh, and he was already making films. Mm. He was making, you know, um, scary movies and gore films. And so we would like do all these shootings where we would like use ketchup and stuff. Yeah. And, and so from really early on, I knew that it was possible to make films with pretty much nothing. Yeah. And, but I would never dare to do it myself. So mm. I would go work on his, on his films and, you know, do other things. And so that was in my, you know, in my teen years. Uh-huh. Then I went to Sciences Po, the Institute of Political Studies, to study journalism. And quite quickly, again, I realized uh, that I was not, um, 
I could not accept the rules of journalism back <laughs> in the day, which were, you know, you have to write what your editor in chief says. You know, I, I saw journalism as a way to express myself. And then I realized that that's not what it was anymore, you know? Right. And that's when I first got an interest in documentary filmmaking ah. because I was like, oh, okay, it's kind of like journalism, but you have more time and you have to, you are encouraged to express your own views, to be an author, to be someone who has a, a particular take on the world. And that was the opposite of what journalism schools were about. Yeah, that's a great way to explain it. So I was like, maybe I could do a master's degree in filmmaking, you know, documentary filmmaking, because uh -huh. there are a few master's degree in documentary filmmaking in France. But again, I sort of like chickened out <laughs> and uh, did not apply for, for this master's. Although from the second year in the, at university, I started working at a documentary film festival. Oh, So I would go there. I did a um, two-month internship. Mm -hmm. So I was working to organize meetings between young filmmakers, their producers and distributors. So that was. So you got those relationships right from the get go. Exactly. And I was, I was 20 at, at yeah. the time. Yeah. And because I loved it so much, I would return there every summer. So I was the bar manager. I was, you know, receiving people. I got to drive DA Penny Baker for those who, who, who like <laughs> documentary filmmaking. It was one of the highlights of my, of my yeah. life back then. Yeah. I was like, Oh my God. Great. You know, cool. And, um, so yeah, that, that, um, that was the case until I went to Australia because I had to do a year abroad at the end of my master's degree. So I went to Australia for a year. And there, the first semester, I still did journalism classes. But the second semester, I took film studies. Ah, great. So I had like a film theory class and I had a film production class. Mm -hmm. And in this film production class, we learned to uh, edit um, uh, to, um, and to like to produce how to make a film. And the final exercise was to, cre was to create a short film by teams of four. But again, I, I well... <laughs> This time I didn't chicken out, but everybody wanted to be the director in a group of four. Of course. <laughs> and I ended up backing down because at some point you have to let it go. And yeah. so I ended up being the producer. Ah. But it helped me a lot when I met Speak Up. Right. You know, because I knew how to organize a, a, a shooting. Yeah. So um, that was, you know, my first experience. And I had always wanted to be in performing arts. But I think because there were so many stereotypes around black people. When I was a kid, I used to play uh, music too. I used to play trumpet. Mm -hmm. But then I was better at basketball than I was at music. Uh -huh. And I'm kind of like, I wasn't dealing really well with um, not succeeding at something when I was young. Wow. And uh, I um, I failed a, a music test for something and then I stopped playing. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten better now with failure, but, but at the time it was just like I couldn't deal with it. And, um, and so... Um, um, I had always wanted to go back to performing, be it music, you know, I sang, well, I still, I still sing, but, but also because there were so many, um, stereotypes around black people, people would always ask me because I was tall, I was, you know, tall, skinny and stuff. People would ask me if I was an, um, um, well, if I was actually a basketball player or if I was a dancer or if I was a singer. And it was really important at that point in my life to be like, no, I'm an intellectual and I'm, uh, I'm doing a master's degree mm -hmm. at the Institute of Political Studies. But, But the end of my time in Australia, uh, I was done with my degree and I was 21. And I felt like I had spent my whole life wanting to not be a cliche, but not really doing what I wanted to do myself. Like I knew stuff that I had to do because I wanted to please my family. So I knew it was really important for my mom that I would go further away than she did in school. I'd done that. You know, there are so many stigmas around black people, but also around adoptees, you know, yeah. uh, is your adoption successful and whatever. So I didn't want to be the bad adoptee or the, the adoptee doesn't goes, that doesn't go well. So I had always been obsessed with this thing of being perfect, like the perfect student, the perfect, you know, um, athlete, um, 
But then I realized that I had always wanted to perform. And should I prevent myself from doing something that I wanted just because I didn't want to be a black cliche? Yeah. You know, I was like, I was like, I'm 21. And what if I end up having a corporate job or whatever and be really depressed because I'll, I'll be making money, but that's not what I wanted to do. It's going to be too late. So, um, I kept traveling for a while. Because I was also having this sort of like fantasy that I would be a globetrotter and I would like travel for 10 years. But then I realized <laughs> that it was not a good I- idea, you know, in the long run. <laughs> so I stayed in Australia. I went to New Zealand. At, I returned to Australia and I went to Thailand. Uh, then I tried to come back to France. But because I'd been away for like a year and a half, it was like a really tough transition. So I actually went to England for six months. Oh. I actually went for the weekend, but having an idea that if I liked, <laughs> you know, I went to, there's a big Caribbean festival, you uh, know, the Nottingale Caribbean uh, Festival in London in August. So I went there for like four or five days, but I had this idea in the back of my mind, like if I can find a job, I'll stay. <laughs> and so that's what I did. I found a job and I stayed there. And I think that by the end of that time, also because I had been in a shared house where there was a, a drum kit and uh, I always wanted to play drums, yeah. you know, and I was like, but I had never touched it. And uh. I just felt this thing of like keeping, you know, preventing myself from doing the thing I wanted to do. So I went back to France and then I announced triumphantly to my parents that I would go do a drama conservatory because now I knew what I was going to do. I was going to be an actress. <laughs> Uh, Ta-da! Yeah. <laughs> so they, they had heard that quite a few times, like, I'm going to be a glove trotter. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a journalist. And I'm going to be an actress. So my mom was kind of like, yay, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I moved to Paris, um, got into a, a drama conservatory in the 16th uh, arrondissement. And I had the time of my life. Ah. I loved it. Um, so I went back to music too. Uh, so I started to learn the, to play drums yeah. because that's the thing I'd always wanted to do. Um, I took, you know, singing lessons. I was doing dancing classes, uh, just like doing a, a full, a full on, um, formation as a performer, right? Um, at this time I, I became a burlesque performer as well. And I started to work because I was lucky the first year in my drama conservatory, um, a stage play director. I don't know how it's, what it's called. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, theater director. Our, a theater director mm-hmm. came to our school and he picked a few of us for a play. So I got an agent straight away. Oh, wow. And so after the second year, I started being able to work while I was, you know, uh, in school. And that's when I realized, you know, how stereotypical yeah. roles for black people. Although, again, like sometimes, you know, the cognitive dissonance is really strange. I did see French films, so I don't know at what point I thought that I could have a role <laughs> in a French movie because I'd never seen black people in French films, especially art house cinema. Right. You know, but it, like it's it, it kind of like your, your somehow. Yeah. yeah. Ah, that's fascinating. Yeah. And um, and so yeah, I was really free at school. I loved school. For instance, I love classical theater. Like I said, mm. you've got like the Shakespeare Festival. I'm a huge Shakespeare fan. Yeah. You know, and um, so I could you know learn all these parts in school. Mm-hmm. But then I could only audition for black parts that were really stereotypical uh, yeah. when I was um, in the industry. And uh, that's what, you know, uh, got me back to writing first mm-hmm. fiction, because my hope was to write stories that I could play in. Yeah. And then when I realized that uh, I had no power over the storyline, you know, because producers had the power. Yeah. Then I decided to do a, a thing on my own and to make a documentary because we had the we had the camera at home. Right. And I thought like that's something I can do on my own. No 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 team. Like a crew of two was enough, you know? Right. And uh and at least I'll be able to carry out my my vision and to represent black women the way I know them and and to sort of like have um 
have a document, you know, because I'd been told so many times that the black characters I was writing were too American or too English and that they were clearly not Frank, uh, French black characters, etc. I thought, you know, next time someone tells me that, I'll be able to be like, this is a film called Speak Up. There's 24 black women in it. You know, they're real people yeah. and they're not your, you know, the stereotypes you have in mind. So can we now please move on the conversation right. to whether those black people exist or not to can we make this show, you know? Well, I'd love to get into Speak Up and talk more about it because it's a really, I mean, it is a groundbreaking documentary and, and, and has broken all kinds of records and boundaries, if you will. And I'd love to talk about some of the themes and things like that when we get back. But it's time for our first musical break. And as always, you know, I love playing some music for you guys. And I love world music. And um, this is a group um, that's actually a young duo from France um, and that I've played on the radio before because I love them so much. They're called Ibei, uh, I-B-E-Y-I. And this song is called Exhibit Diaz. And you're listening to KSUU Thunder 91.1. It's frustrating when you just can't express yourself And it's hard to trust enough to undress yourself Just then expose the naked in a world full of hatred Where the sick thoughts of mankind control all the sacred I pause, take a step back, record all the setbacks Fast forward towards the stars and the jetpack My feet might fail me, my heart might ail me The synagogues of Satan might accuse or jail me I got something to say That name on that birth certificate That in the real me That in the real me The lies can conceal me The sunrise and the moon tides And the sky is gonna reveal me My brain pours water on my tears To heal me I got something to say Grab a hold to every ears that get whispered in The waters and the bears on, on you all and still glistening The universe is listening, be careful what you're saying it. My grandma told me every better nigga make he lay in it The church, you pray in it The work is on the outside Staring out the windows It's full of songs and housefly I got something to say Oh, yeah Yesterday's gone Tomorrow's on the way I got something to say Let's go. 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 Let's go.
All right. Welcome back, everyone. Um, Lynn Vartan here in the studio with Amandine Gay. Welcome back. Hey, I'm still here. <laughs> Yay. Um, so what I'd love to get into talking about is uh, talking about your film, Speak Up, which we showed last night as part of our SU International Film Festival. The first thing I'd love to ask you about it is about the title. Um, we've been saying Speak Up, the English translation, of course, but the title in French has sort of a double meaning, right? Yeah, exactly. In French, it's Ouvrir la Voix. Uh, and in French, Voix has two spellings. So V-O-I-X is a voice, but V-O-I-E means a way or path. So um, by, you know, um, it's sort of like a play on word because uh, we, we wrote it, usually ouvrir la voie would be like open a path or open a way, uh, but I put it with the X so that it would be, you know, uh, you have the, the sounding thing. So you think about open the way, but then you see how it's written, it's, it's open your voice and mm -hmm. uh, or raising your voice. Yeah. So yeah, that was, um, that was the idea. And because we couldn't translate the play on words in English, we decided to sort of like privilege the speaking up part mm -hmm. because you know like that is the center of the film it's a it's a talking heads documentary it's about empowerment through you know um taking a stand and, and speaking up so uh we we lost uh we lost the double meaning but we got like we we kept the central one it's a powerful title for sure i mean even just as speak up um and i guess the next question is for anybody who wants to to learn about the film or try to see the film in the u.s you're on a month-long tour right now of universities um but how can people either see it or make a play to see it or or tell people they want to see it what's the approach here in the u.s so uh in the u.s for this year um if um universities or uh, film clubs or, uh, you know, um, those sort of sort of like non-commercial screenings, uh, people can contact UniFrance. So it's the institution that promotes French cinema abroad because they have this program called Young French Cinema. And every year they select 20 films from young French filmmakers uh, that they are distributing for a year uh, in the States because these are films that don't have a, a U.S. distributor yet. So uh, for the moment, that's the only way to see Speak Up because we don't have a distributor, so there can't be commercial screenings, mm -hmm. and um, and uh, we don't either. We don't have a, a distributor for like VOD or you know right. um, DVD right. uh, okay. edition. So uh, you wouldn't be you wouldn't have access to the DVDs that are sold in France because it's not the the same zone. Right. So for the moment, it's gonna only be screened in. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, either uh, French institutes or, or universities or, or cinema clubs. And, you know, I hope we'll find a distributor along the way. That's kind of the point of having young French cinema. Right. Okay. And is your tour listed on your website or on as if people wanted to maybe if somebody was listening and was in Seattle, for example, or L.A.? So actually, it's gonna. So there's a there's a Facebook page for the film. Uh, so it's called you know um, ouvrir la voix in French. Uh, but you have like ouvrir la voix slash speak up. Yes. So you like if you if you type speak up in Facebook, you're gonna find the film's page, and uh, there every first day of the month. So it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be tomorrow. shown tomorrow. <laughs> uh, you have the list of all the screenings everywhere because okay, like great. there's the tour in the U.S., but there are still screenings in France and in other countries as well. So uh, that's the way of knowing about the tour. And I'm also sharing this list on Twitter. Uh, right. My Twitter handle is Orfeo Negra. So O-R-P-H-E-O-N-E-G-A. 
R A. Yep. Um, and so you can find it on my personal Twitter or on the film's Twitter. So it's the same thing. It's, uh, at, um, at speak up, um, real life speak up on, on, uh, on Twitter. And, uh, you also have it on the film's website, but, uh, the film's website is www.ouvrirlavoilefilm.fr. We don't have a, an English website. Okay. Uh, and then you also have the tour list. So there are a few, a few places that, that, that it can be found. Great, because you never know. Somebody may be close by and want to check it out. Yes. So tell I've we've of course seen the film, but for the our audience listening, tell us a little bit about it. It's uh, twenty four women, is that right? And and it's it's a Talking Heads documentary, and maybe go into a little more detail about that. Yeah, so the idea of Speak Up is to uh, have a, a conversation between twenty four uh, women from um, uh, francophone. Um, Francophone Europe. So you have French and uh, Belgian women, uh, mostly French, but there are, you know, three Belgian women in the film. And the idea is to, um, to, you know, go through their experience to realize that they have an expertise on what it's like to be a black woman in France. And, um, and my, you know, my goal was really to, um, uh, use documentary filmmaking as a way to create empathy because I realized that if you start talking about, you know, racism, sexism, um, religious discrimination, et cetera, et cetera, from the prism of life stories, then people will open up to those themes. You know, mm -hmm. if you were to try to, I don't know, have a conference or uh, go in a debate about those issues, uh, quite quickly the debate will, you know, become a heated debate mm -hmm. and nobody's listening to anybody. But the cinema is quite different because once you're seated in the cinema and, you know, the room is dark and then you have those women who are just basically telling you about their lives. What I often say, you know, is that you rarely see someone in a cinema that stands up and says, that's wrong. You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. If they disagree with what's being said, the worst that could happen is that they would leave the theater. Yeah. But otherwise, they're going to stay. And what I've often said to in, uh, you know, Q&As is that for many people in France, it's the first time they had a conversation with black women for two hours without interrupting them. Mm -hmm. And so this was an opportunity to learn things. Because, yeah. you know, I think that in the interruption, uh, interrupting women is a thing, right? You know, um, and so you don't get to have the entire perspective. Yeah. And don't get to have the, the entire picture if you don't listen to people, you know, uh, in for the, the entirety of what they have to say. So that was also the point of the film. You said something earlier along those lines that I wrote down in my notes. You said reaching the hearts to get to the minds. I think that's a really beautiful sentiment. And, and can you elaborate a little bit more on in the way you want to reach people and, and how you want to reach people? Yeah. Um, you know, this idea comes, uh, Lars von Trier is a, is a filmmaker that I really admire. And one of the things he said is that to him, a good movie is like a rock in a, in a shoe, you know, and it's something that you cannot deny. And that's sort of like going with you everywhere. And, you know, one of the sensation I like the most about a, about a film is when I leave the theater, but it stays with me and I keep thinking about it. And, you know, like, only art has this this effect on people. You can reach their unconscious. You can reach their heart. You can reach their guts. And so this is a whole different way of talking to people. Like when you're appealing to the mind of someone, 
you can you may encounter barriers but when you're just going to like basic human feelings because that's what you know cinema is about be it fiction or non-fiction you're just dealing in feelings and emotions and so everybody's felt rejected at some point in their lives you know when i tell the story when someone said i don't want to hold your hand you know it might have happened to any human being for any sort of reason and and in that they can relate Maybe it hasn't happened to them on the basis of race, but it has happened to them. Mm -hmm. And they know that feeling of being rejected, you know? Mm -hmm. And so to me, that's, that's what I like to work on, you know? Um, I don't know the exact uh, quote, but uh, Maya Angelou said that too, you know? She said, people will forget how you look, what you said, uh, but they will never forget how you made them feel, Mm -hmm. you know? And to me, that's, that's really what cinema is about. I want people, to feel something and to, so that, you know, they move so much that it displaces them, you know, in the way they're thinking and seeing things, you know, and it's quite different also from activism because it's not about convincing them. Right. You know, like I don't expect anybody to get out of the rooms from speak up and be like, and I will no longer be racist, sexist, homophobic or whatever, you know, like that's not the point. But what I want is the film to be one of the, you know, few clicks that maybe will make this person see things differently, mm-hmm. you know, and, and decide that maybe, you know, uh, they are not homosexuals themselves, but, you know, it's none of their business to intervene into other people's sexuality. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, giving an example like that. Like maybe you can move people a little, you know, they might not change completely, but they'll be moved to see, you know, those groups of people that they were not seeing as human beings for several different reasons, then they will change their mind because they've been an interacting with, with one of those characters and they like them really well. There's also a bit of manipulation, you know, because I've put the, the difficult themes at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. So when people's barriers are sort of like low and also when they've started to um, interact and empathize with the character. So by the time they become, they realize she's a lesbian, they already like her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's one of, of the things also that you can do with film. You know, you can present someone the way you want and then say, and by the way, she's a lesbian. And do you still not like her? You know? Yeah. Just for that. And this film has a lot of firsts associated with it. And, and, and you can go into more detail, but, uh, the woman that you're speaking of is one of the, if not the first lesbian black woman on French film. Yeah. Yeah, that that's the um, Speak Up is the first uh, French film that features uh, black, you know, lesbians and especially um a black lesbian couple. That's right. definitely a first, you know. Maybe there has been some black lesbians somewhere, you know, um that I've missed. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I did look and I haven't found them. Maybe it happened, but a black lesbian couple that's uh, that's damn sure that was the first time. And um to me it was also um a way of having twists, you know, cuz um in black communities we talk about black love a lot. But when we talk about black love, we rarely think about queer people, mm. you know. And to me, it was also really important, especially because one of the characters' coming out story is really violent. She, uh, you know, tried to commit suicide and she has had like a family um um, breakdown, you yeah, know, because right. of, a, of a sexual orientation and having in mind that it's the movie that I wish I had seen when I was younger, you know, I couldn't leave a younger audience who might have been, who might be queer to see that, you know, if you were black and lesbian, then you would have to either, you know, renounce your love or renounce your family. I had to bring some hope. So I was so fortunate to, to meet this couple. Yeah. So that they would tell their story and how complex and difficult it might have been at some points. But then you could also see them, you know, in, in love and being a black couple and, and, you know, um, 
just being happy. And so to me, it was really important to show that you, you don't, you're not condemned to be alone. Uh, you're not condemned to, uh, have to choose between family and a, and a loving, you know, relationship. And, um, and that, yeah, you know, um, there is also, cause when you're young, you tend to not really see that you're going to grow up. You know, like I remember when I was 14, 15, it was really impossible for me to think that there would be something after high school. Like I was just like completely embedded in like high school <laughs> drama and, you know, and I just felt like this would never end and, <laughs> you know, and uh, I think it's really good to be able to offer perspective, you know, to, to younger black mm -hmm. people and to the global black community to, yeah, remind that black love may be a, a concept that goes beyond heterosexuality. <laughs> and that's one of the things that you said that you just mentioned that, that you've said all along is that one of your goals is that, I mean, you almost wish that you had seen this film when you were a teenager or at any age. And, and that's got to be a very um, fulfilling thing that you've made this film and now it's here, here it is. But can you talk a little bit more about you know, what this film has done and can still do um, for young black women. Well, I think one of the greatest successes I've had with Speak Up is, uh, you know, black women sending me pictures. So like I've had, I've had families sending me pictures, like the grandmother, the mother, oh. and then, and then their granddaughter. And they were like, we all went to see Speak Up. Um, I did, you know, about a hundred screenings with Q and A's throughout Europe and, and in the States, et cetera. Uh, but in France, I went to many places. And uh, when I went to the West Indies, I went to the, to Guadeloupe Island. I had also a lot of uh, women in their fifties or sixties who were coming to see me and saying, my daughter, she follows you on, on social network. And, and she was adamant. I, wa I went to see, I came and see that film and now I understand why. And thank oh. you so much. And so I really like that there's been this sort of like intergenerational, com um, you know, conversation that's been made possible by the film. Because often, for instance, in terms of immigrant stories, you know, the first generation migrants or the parents, uh, to make it, they tend to be, you know, they, they, and also because they're not French. So, you know, they feel like they really have to blend in, uh, to, you know, and they're really grateful to, uh, for, to France for having, you know, welcomed them, et cetera. But they're children. They're born in France. So they don't have the same relationship. And right. sometimes, you know, the difference in this relationship is a really tough conversation to have between parents and their children. Also because the generation of the parents might have encountered a more open racism. Like they arrived in France and people would like, you know, call them monkeys or whatever. So by the time they have children and those children grow up and then they say like, you know, my problem is not nobody calls me a monkey, but I will not get a, de a job that has, you know, that goes with my degree because I'm black, mm -hmm. you know, or they're going to get some types of frustration or they're going to be really outgoing and wanting to be activists. And their parents are going to be like, yo, yo, take it easy because we're immigrants. We have to, you know, blend in and be quiet. And their children are going to be like, I'm not an immigrant. I'm French. I was born here, mm -hmm. you know, so those conversations, when you have them one on one. They can go bad really quickly as well. Oh, yeah. You know, within the family. Family. <laughs> we all know about like, that. <laughs> yeah, I, no one's listening to anybody, et cetera. Yeah. But when those parents come to see the film and they see this whole generation of black women who, when we shot, women had, were between 22 to 47, right? Yeah. So mostly in their 20s, 30s. Mm -hmm. um, when they see this generation 
talking about all these issues that they're encountering in the school system, you know, in, in, the, in the workplace, etc. Then it sort of like puts into perspective what their children have said, because it's not just their children. Mm-hmm. It's what's happening to a whole generation. Mm-hmm. So like the film has really been used and I'm, I'm giving the, uh, the example of the immigrant conversation, but clearly for queer people of color and black, you know, black queer people, the film has been also uh, really useful to just be like, look, it's not just me, you know, <laughs> and it's not, you know, so uh, um, um, a lot of black people, especially black women, have sort of really claimed the film uh, for themselves and used it in many ways. Um, also, because when we did the crowdfunding to pay for the post-production, uh, the initial cut of Speak Up was three hours, which would never have been able, you know, like it's not a film that you can show in theaters. Uh, so what we did is that we edited it out an hour, but these, these were already sort of like um, coherent uh, you know, uh, faces of the, uh, of the film. These were chapters we edited out. And with those chapters we edited out, uh, we were, you know, sharing it, sharing one of them every Wednesday on social networks because Wednesday is the day that films are released in France. And so every Wednesday I would say, Oh, look at how great the deleted scenes are. Imagine what the film's going to be looking like. Give me, give us the money. You know, that yeah. was, that was the idea. And those extras, right? I've been online since 2016 and now they have more than 200,000 views Mm -hmm. and they've been used by teachers when they have to work on, you know, discrimination and stuff. Um, They've been used by, again, like in the Martinique Island, a group of uh, black women were having a workshop about natural hair. So they use the extras that are on YouTube. So um, it's really been sort of, um, um, yeah, like a community tool. You yes. know, the, the film is really people are using it for their own purposes. And yes. to me, that's the best part. That's amazing. And receiving photos, I, I love. And so that's a whole other thing that I'd love to. The YouTube channel is widely available. Is that yeah, something? Yeah, it's with my name. So uh, there's a, it's Amandine Gay, my, my name. My last name is Gay, J-Y. And it is my true name. Because <laughs> a lot of people are asking me that. Do they ask you? <laughs> yeah. well, is this really your name? Like, yeah, they think maybe I chose it. Like it's a pseudonym or whatever. But no, it's my, it's my real last name. So on my YouTube channel, Amandine Gay, um, there is a playlist uh, called Ouvrir la Voix. And on this playlist, you got the trailer, you got all these extras. Not all of them have English subtitles, but I think about, you know, five or six of them have English subtitles. That's great. So if anybody's listening in our, in our community who are teachers and want to open this dialogue in their classes, um, this could be a great resource for them. Definitely. And how about the women now? What is your relationship with them? I know I heard you say you had dinner parties with them. Is that still going on? Oh no, it's not. Well, also because I'm not there. Right. So, <laughs> the main reason why not I I, have, I don't have a much of a social life right now. I know. Neither with them nor You're with busy. anybody. You know, <laughs> like uh, I often joke, like you know that my I return to France every now and then, and and people now have two kids, and, and right, I was just right. like I left. They weren't even married. You know, <laughs> I'm just like okay, what happened there? Right. You know. Um. But yeah, what happened is that when uh, I was um. Um, making the film, my idea was that since the concept was a big conversation between black women, I felt that it would have been weird for them not to have met. So when the group of 24 was, you know, uh, constituted, we started having big dinners at home so that they would meet and discuss stuff. And my hope was also like, that's more the activist in me that, you know, things would, 
would be created from these meetings, you know, that they would, you know, go on projects of their own. And it happened, you know, Um, a feminist group was created, a black feminist group called Moissy. And now it's like a full on, uh, full blown organization in France. Um, An Afro feminist marching band was created as well. It's called 30 Shades of Blackness. (laughs) And, um, and so like quite a few projects, you know, um, were derivated from, uh, from the film. And uh, so, yeah, we, we have, you know, we stay in touch through social networks yes. because I, I don't see some I see well because some also were my friends from before. So, um, but yeah, we keep in touch. And I mean, they've been really supportive of the film. Like uh, out of the 24, you know, some of them have sort of like real jobs in the sense that they can't go and present the film. But I have a, a group of eight of the women who are in the films who go and do Q&As when I can't, you know. Mm. So uh, to me, it's also a great uh, testimony uh, so as to why the film is um, is really true to what they're saying, is that they're they're willing to go to any place in France and discuss with the public what what the film's been like. So I think it's it shows that they're quite happy with, with what it was. And also, it's been like a... An incredible success story for us, right? Yeah. You know, it's a thing we that was shot in my living room. Yeah. Uh, we, we like it took forever to be made. You know, <laughs> like a project that we shot in 2014 and it was released in theaters um, in 2017. Yeah. So you know, like they saw me struggle. Uh, they saw me first. You know, they're a um, part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and it's sort of like been our collective success. Like you know, they took part in this thing and then it sort of like blew out. And now there's the U.S. tour, which is like a big thing in falls to go to America. So it's kind of like woo, we've made it. You know, fantastic. So, <laughs> Well, I could keep talking all afternoon. We have one more musical break. I mean, I had more music, but I want to get back and talk to you more. And I'd love to ask you about your inspirations, you know, who inspires you now and who inspired you in your past. So we'll get back to that in a minute. But in the meantime, I have a song. Uh, the, the title is Mujeres, so women uh, in Spanish. And the, the band is Y La Bamba. And this is the Apex Hour at KSUU Thunder 91.1.
All right. Welcome back. So that song was Mujeres and the band is I La Bamba. This is the Apex Hour, KSU Thunder 91.1. Um, this is Lynn Bartan and I'm joined in the studio for a last few minutes with Amandine Gay. Welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> and I have some inspiration questions. Um, in your talk today, you talked about some of the writers and, um, and some of the other artists and, um, people who have inspired you. And I'm, I'm curious, who inspires you? Who is inspiring you particularly right now? Um, in terms of, um, of quality of the filmmaking, you know, the person from my generation I truly admire is Dee Rees. You know, uh, she's uh, an African American filmmaker and she's incredible. Her first film was called Pariah and it was magnificent. Um, and then she's made a, a musical film. So it's not a musical, but she made the Bessie, uh, Bessie Smith, you know, um, biopic. Oh. And, uh, which is called Bessie. And, uh, then she made, um, a film that's on Netflix that's called Mudbound. Um, oh, okay. and so, well, to me, she's amazing. Like the photography is always good. Um, uh, great uh, direction of actors. You know, I really admire her. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's the kind of first time. Tell me her name one more time. D Rees. So okay. it's D E E and then R E E S E. Okay. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Or R E E S. I'm not sure, but that's enough to find it. For yeah, sure. yeah you, you can find her, and uh, really, like her work is amazing. I really like Lydon Waithe's work as well. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the Chai is great. The episode she wrote for Master of None was great. Yeah. Um, and I like also this kind of like leadership. You yeah. know, and I think the ones that that we're all looking up to in terms of leadership is Ava DuVernay, right? Mm-hmm. Because she's really sort of like setting this path of mentorship, you know, for, uh, for black women in the, in the industry and for women of color in general. And I think it's, it's really beautiful to have examples, you know, um, what we are missing a lot in France are mentors. I'm, I often give this example. Um, we're only two black women producers in the cinema industry in France. I'm 34 and Laurence Lascari, the other one is 38. So we got no elders to look up to. You know, yeah. uh, we have to invent everything about ourselves. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's quite tough. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes I wish I could go and, and have figures like, you know, uh, Ava DuVernay in, in my country, mm-hmm. uh, that would help us, you know, like guide us through the industry. So, and she's not the only one, you know, there's Shonda Rhimes, there's Oprah, like, and you can sort of like also see, um, you know, generations, right. you know, with sort of like Oprah, who, who was kind of like the first. Mm-hmm. And then you have like the Ava Shonda Rhimes generation. And then there's like this explosion in the U.S. where, you know, you have Issa Rae and, and, uh, and Lena Waithe and Dee Rees and, you know, so that's, um, that's something I'm really looking up to and, and, uh, you know, yeah, admiring and liking. I also like Ama Asante. She's a UK filmmaker. Mm-hmm. She made the film Belle. I don't uh-huh. know if you've yes, heard yes, about yeah. it. Uh-huh. So, um, so yeah, those are the ones I, I kind of, uh, really, um, look up to. And I, I saw, so there was a, a show recently called The Bisexual. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot the name of the, her uh, first name is Desiree, but mm-hmm. I don't know what her last name is. Mm-hmm. And I really like that show. Okay. So yeah, in terms of creators, that's what I'm, I'm kind of um, enjoying right now. Cool. Um, one question uh, that I've, I've heard people, uh, in interviews uh, ask and I've been asked it too if you and it's kind of a funny one um if you met your 2005 version of yourself <laughs> in a bar for a bar fight who would win 
Isn't that <laughs> right? <laughs> like I think about oh, that. Oh, it's definitely the 2005 version me of me. Me too. I, yeah, because I, I, I was feisty, <laughs> and also I drank a lot, so I was, <laughs> I, I was, uh, I would be terrible, uh, you know, at that time in a bar fight. That would have, that would have been gruesome. Yeah. It's a funny question and interesting to think about, right? Because we think we mature so much, but that feistiness, you know, maybe <laughs> could serve in a bar fight. <laughs> and then one question that I always ask at the end of the show um, and this can be um, it could be super academic or it could be very playful and that's what's turning you on this week right now and it can be it could be anything it could be a food it could be a podcast it could be a TV show it could be a, it, it could be anything it's just sort of a fun way for our get our listeners to to hear something else so Amandine Gay what's turning you on this week <laughs> Okay, so it's uh, it's something I'm looking forward to. I'm gonna get my hair done when I get to LA, yeah. and uh, <laughs> and like I finally got the appointment, you know, scheduled because I had to have pictures sent to the salon. Oh like, yeah, you know, because I have like natural Afro hair, mm. I need to find natural salons. So I first look because my next stop is Seattle and then it's Portland. So I had to look at you know through Seattle if I could find a salon. I didn't. Then I look at Portland. I didn't. Then I looked in Los Angeles and I found a few, but then one was not answering, and then the other one. One friendly answer, but she wanted me to send pictures of the hairstyle I wanted. So it's been like a, it's been a week that I'm on this. Yeah. And yesterday she confirmed the appointment. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm going to get my hair pampered, you know, by the time I get to LA. So that's my... That's fantastic. What a great way to end. Well, we're out of time. I'd like to say thank you so much to Amandine. Thank you for spending you the for time with me. me. Yay. All right. Well, this is the end of our show, and we will look forward to you listening in next time. Uh, in the meantime, thanks for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the Apex Hour here on KSUU's Thunder 91.1. Come find us again next Thursday at 3 p.m. for more conversations with the visiting guests at Southern Utah University and new music to discover for your next playlist. And in the meantime, we would love to see you at our events on campus. To find out more, check out suu.edu apex. Until next week, this is Lynn Vartan saying goodbye from the Apex Hour here on Thunder 91.1.